0: Good morning, Calvary. We hope you're doing well today. Everybody doing okay? Super Bowl Sunday. we got a boiler game this afternoon. Full, full day ahead. If you're new, my name is Daniel Berry. I'm the pastor here. We are glad you're here. We're in the middle of a series called The Process. And the idea of The Process is, in order to be a disciple, we have to allow God to, wait for it, perform the process of transformation into our life. So last week, we talked about the parable of the seeds and the idea that if we scatter the seeds to the end of the earth, there's sometimes it's going to go in the bad path and it's going to be snatched away. There's sometimes those seeds will go into a rocky path. Sometimes those seeds will go into soil that's choked out by the pressures of the world. And sometimes that seed will go down into good soil. And so we kind of described it last week that, you know, we're turning over the soil of this life. And this is important because a lot of people approach the understanding of Christ for the intention of just getting to spend forever with God in eternity. But salvation is more than that. Salvation is a gift, and it's not earned. But, once you've received the gift of salvation, it should transform you. Because what we're really receiving isn't heaven. That's a benefit. What we're receiving is is an eternal relationship with Jesus that can last now and forevermore. So as you think about that, what what we talked about as we work over the soil of our life, God grows the crop. I can't can't put a seed right here and go, grow, right? But I can work over the soil of my life. So it's important to remember God grows the crop, but the farmer works the land, which is the root of our own heart. So around here, there's different tools, there's different ways you can work the soil, Around here, the way that we work the soul of our heart is called the discipleship pathway. And the discipleship pathway is a structure that helps us to learn to work the soul of our hearts, and in turn, we allow God to move in us and others. Now, what is included in the discipleship pathway? The discipleship pathway involves community, learning, and training. You can see it on, we have diagrams. You can go to our website. You can find all of this really. Readily available all the time. It's the tool but the discipleship pathway once again is not meant to be a formula But a structure So it's preparing the soil tilling the soil planting the seeds and giving it time to grow So last week that's that's where we left you. That's if you weren't here last week Congratulations, you're caught up and the idea of what that looks like is allowing god to work So we asked you last week to pray a prayer about saying god. What is the? the soil of my heart that i need to turn over that i need to till to allow god to grow in me and through me and how do we work the ground how do we how are we really supposed to do that so we talked about the importance of it so i want to go kind of into an application and spoiler this service is going to leave you a little bit disjointed it's going to be picked up next week okay so like if you're one of those people who's like i want it wrapped up in a bow It ain't going to happen. I want to settle you for disappointment right now, okay? But what we're trying to do is allow the process to work and do this. Now, this last week, I had the ability to go away for a a week-long training on leadership development, and it's amazing how God works things out, right? God showed me some things this last week that fit perfectly into the message today because God is smarter than me. But he also knew I was going to be doing this today. So I want to share a little bit. Here's where we get disjointed as a church we know that god wants us to grow so this is an example we have a person in our church who grew this for me um clearly better at this kind of stuff than i am he has a green thumb it's his job it's his profession but here's something i want to confess i don't know what this is i mean it's a plant right but i honestly don't know what the seed is that he put in here and I'm not smart enough to look at this and know what actually this is growing, okay? This may be it, and if so, I still don't know what it is, okay? But in the process of what we're trying to do today, this is where many of us are. We sit here and go, okay, I see a little sprout, but I'm not fully grown. What am I going to be? And we don't like that in our culture. We want to we get to the finish line first. We, we want to read the spoilers before we go to movies. I, that may not be you. That's me. I... I before I go watch the movie, I'll read the spoilers. And you're like, you're ruining the adventure. I go, no, I'm enjoying the adventure because I'm enjoying the adventure by knowing the plot before I go. I, it's, this is simple math. Okay, some of you are like blown away by that right now. But through the process of transformation, we have to allow God to continue to grow. And we're going to continue to allow this to grow. And they, they're going to look different. Some are going to grow quicker than others. Some are going to have bigger blooms. And, and that's okay. But the process of this is allowing God to grow in our lives. Now, here's the problem. I don't know what that is because there's a lot of different types of things that go into the ground and grow, right? I mean, around here, we think there's two, corn and beans, right? But there's actually a lot of other things that grow that we put in the ground. And so we have an understanding. If we're tilling the ground of our life, we are to grow something. But what comes up may not look the same as the person next to you. And we don't always understand that because I think we in the church have misaligned our purpose and our plan with what God's actual intention for us in the idea of discipleship. Let me explain it to you like this. Um, The Great Commission says this, uh, we are called to go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And over the pandemic, we've learned that about 20% of the church is gone in America and is not coming back. Why is that? Why are they gone? Could it be because we have, instead of actually making people who are disciples of Christ, we've done the following. Here's a quote from the book Future Church. Instead of going to all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, here's what we did. We've gone into all the world and to make church attenders Baptizing them in the name of small group And teaching them to serve a few times a month That hurt That quote hurt Is that the end? So what does this look like for us to develop this? We're we're going to get to the scripture If you'll bear with me I'm setting this up a little bit longer than normal Before we get to the scripture I want to show you another diagram from that same book So let's look at this Here's what the first graph looks like um, the idea of the first floor of what this looks like Maybe There it is. Okay, so the lo- the lower room is the entry point into the building It's the entry point into the church of our lives. Okay, and so here's how a lot of times we build church It's full of it's a place, right? Congratulations, you're here and if you're a dutiful person, you're here every week We make that our goal or our or personalities yeah you know, i like i like you pastor you're funny would somebody please tell my wife that because she doesn't think i'm as funny as you probably think or 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 boy I, when drew preaches boy i get really excited you know we're, we're drawn to personalities right we're drawn to programs what's the men's ministry what's i want my kid to be in student community or are we drawn to people i want to have community and friends How's it going? All my you know, extroverts, they, they, why do you go to church? I get to see my people, right? And hear me, all of those things are good and vital. But if we stop there, this is where we're making the church that is you know, saying church attenders, small groups and serving is the goal. And what you're going to find is that actually isn't as fulfilling as you think. We actually have to transform ourselves, we have to continue to grow into the second floor of our discipleship. So what is this on the second floor? The second floor it says there is vision. The second floor is our purpose. If you understand your purpose and what's our purpose to go, we're followers that make followers of Jesus. Congratulations! We can probably all say that. If not, go out there and read it. It's written huge. We're followers that make followers of Jesus. That's, that's our purpose. That's not what I asked. What is your purpose? What's to make followers that make... That's the general answer. But what's your purpose? Your purpose will drive your life. So let's unpack it like this. If we have a church with only first floor people who are bought into the church as a place I go or I want to see a few people or I'm driven by... And that's a good entry place, but we don't ever learn. Then we have a church that basically produces no fruit. No fruit because there's no growth. Growth produces fruit. We get that, right? So you don't have patience. Patience. You don't have peace, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You don't have kindness, and you aren't helping other people find those things. Translations. But if we're a church full of people who only do that, that's what we get. Now, here's the hard part. There are a lot of people who try to live a second-floor existence without having the first floor. And I think we need to have the first floor. I think we need to be involved in community and local church attendance because these people will help us to have a purpose that is glorifying God. And without that, we will define our purpose by what we want it to be. So if you live on the second-floor existence only, you will have fruit— but it's not good fruit. What does that look like? I have a kid, and I'm spending my whole life trying to get them a college scholarship in the sport they love. So I'm willing to sacrifice everything in my bank account to save a little money down the road. Purpose. Driving them to wherever. Sacrificing all ends of time. No, I'm not picking on just the sports people. The band people do it too. Testify. And those, those aren't bad things, but if that's your purpose. If my purpose is to retire early. My purpose is to get a promotion. My purpose is to get married and stay married. My purpose is to have 2.3 kids. My purpose is to define my life as a person that everybody likes and respects. And when I walk in the room, everybody knows my name. What gears your motivation is your purpose. When you look around and you sit there, what gets me up in the morning, what motivates me at night... What I think about it, where you put your times, energy, and your thoughts, that's your purpose. If the purpose isn't kingdom building, you're going to find that purpose never meets its fulfillment. So in order to transform like we need to transform, we need to understand what it looks like to transition from a first floor follower into the second floor. We use the people, the programs, all of these elements to help us Follow and live out a kingdom Purpose You get it So Daniel How do we do this How do we get to the place Well I want to read to you Galatians five sixteen through 18 And when I do it sets up What it looks like To know that we're living for Jesus That we're receiving the fruits Of following him what are the fruits of following him? Well, you've already covered this. Peace, patience. Ask yourself this last week. Has, has my life in the day-to-day moment been guarded by those characteristics? Kindness, patience, right? It may be because your purpose is misaligned. So how do we get that? How do we get the fruits of the Spirit? Right before he talks about the fruits of the Spirit, Paul discusses this in Galatians 5, 16 through 18. Here's what it says. I say then, walk by the Spirit, How do you get the fruits of the Spirit? You'll walk by the Spirit. And you will certainly not carry out the desire of your flesh or a bad purpose. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit. I want what I want, right? And the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So in understanding that ever since the beginning of time, Adam and Eve had a purpose. And that purpose was to live in communion with God, glorifying him. But when they got sidetracked from that purpose and they ate of that fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they went from only knowing good, their purpose in life, to fully knowing evil, which was a misguided purpose for their life, which caused sin to enter the world. So the way that we walk by the Spirit is to know our purpose. Do you know your purpose? It's to make followers that make followers of Jesus Christ. Right. That's not the question. Once again, do you know your purpose? How do we get there? What does it look like when we walk by the Spirit? Okay. Okay in order to understand what it looks like to walk by the Spirit, which is how we're going to know our purpose, I want us to understand the way the Bible is written is how most things are written in life. If you want to find the topic sentence, don't look in the middle of a paragraph. Right? Most of the time, the topic sentence, if you don't know this, we have some grammar teachers who would love to geek out and tell you all about this. Okay? But if you are looking for the topic of a chapter which came later and when so when they organized the chapters how do they organize the chapters by the way that it was broken down you might find that the purpose of a chapter is found at the beginning of the chapter Galatians 5 1 for freedom Christ has set us free stand firm then and don't submit to a yoke of slavery Christ to set you free. You want to find your purpose? Find your freedom. Oh, I love this speech! Let's go, Daniel! USA! 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 Now, hear me. I've lived in two military towns. I'm thankful, seriously thankful, for the sacrifice of everyone who has ever gone for our country. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But I need you to understand something. Our definition of freedom, biblically, is different than the United States definition of freedom. I need you to wrestle with that. I need you to ask yourself before you get angry, is what he's saying true? Because the freedom that we find as a follower of Jesus is living out the calling that God has placed on our life and living out that calling wherever we go. The freedom as described by so many people is sitting there going, I get to do what I want. You don't get to do what you want. That's not where freedom is found. You, you want proof? Why do those men and women who go out and serve our country, why are they willing to die for your freedoms? Because they're living out their purpose. They're willing to die for their purpose. And their purpose for living is so that you can live out your purpose, which shouldn't be, I get what I want. If you want to know what it looks like to really live in freedom, find the man or the woman that God made you to be. Live that out fully for the kingdom of God and it will forever change you. I grew up in many different churches. Uh, I, I heard many different sermons and here's what I always got frustrated with. You would get a pastor who is really, really passionate about evangelism. I love some evangelism, which is sharing the good news of Jesus. It's telling the story of Jesus. Around here we say it: followers share with they Okay? There are some people who are gifted to that, and sometimes pastors are really, really gifted with that. You know, the kind of people who can talk to a paint on a wall? They're really good at that kind of stuff, okay? And when they do that, they would get up and go, this is what I'm passionate about, this is where we need to go, and if you don't do this, then you are failing. Another set of pastors are really into apologetics. You know what apologetics is? It's studying the truth that God reveals himself in the Word of God. And so they can lock themselves in the room and study God's Word from beginning to end. They may or may not be able to teach to anybody, but they can at least express it through writing down words. And somebody who's going to be able to relate to people is going to come along later and read that and help people like me know how to understand it so I can teach it to you all. Right? But if you get an apologetics pastor, they can sit up here and speak and go, you need to understand what Leviticus 7.4 is about. I don't want to look it up. I have no earthly idea what that is. It's probably a horrible verse. It just came to me, okay? Stop it right now, Daniel. Stop it. The idea of what this looks like as we chase this around, as we, we go down this path and we sit there and go, in order to be a follower of Jesus you got to look like me because God has spoken to me and so we make little cookie cutter impressions and so what happens is when you're following a people, a place or personality and you come in and you listen to it and you sit there and you go okay, in order to be a follower of Jesus I have to look like them you take the cookie cutter mold and you place it on your life and you wonder why you're frustrated and the church doesn't fit for you, it's because you're a different mold. Jeremiah says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I made you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah's response, Who, me? Couldn't be. Then who? It's you. And the Lord bent forth and he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, I put my very words in your mouth. How is God uniquely making you to be a follower of Jesus? To walk in his spirit and to change the world. This is where you find freedom. It's where you find purpose and where you find discipleship. Galatians 5, 13 through 14. Once again, we're walking back up there. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, for your own desires, right? But serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to come back to this in two weeks. The way that you know that you're actually living for Christ is you're going to put other people before yourself. You're so passionate about your purpose and your calling, you're going to have a kingdom mindset. But Daniel, you you're talking about what I'm called to do, but you still haven't told me how to embrace how to walk in the spirit in order as who God made me to be, how to, to understand my calling and that's where I'm going to say we're not going to fully get there today but I do want to start by this Ephesians 2:10 which is the universal testimony Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 I call it the universal testimony or the story that we all share in common of how we were lost but as Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, we are saved by grace through faith. In other words, it's not something we do. But God grows something in our lives because the farmer grows the crop, but we work the land. So we receive that grace and it's implanted in our, whole, in our whole heart and then it begins to grow. For by grace we are saved through faith. Many, many, many of us can understand that, that Jesus died for us and that he wants to have a relationship with us so that we can find our meaning and purpose lost and embedded in him. And that by dying to self and being raised to a new life, I'm now following Jesus. I now have a relationship with him. But I don't ever hear from God. I don't understand. And the reason we don't know how to hear from God is because we ignore Ephesians 2.10. And Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So when we receive God in our life, and salvation takes hold and takes root of our life, God begins to utilize something that is growing in us. And He, when he planted that seed, wasn't sitting there going, I wonder if this is going to be a tomato plant. Mm-mm. I wonder if this is going to be soybeans. I wonder if this is going to be a Gerber daisy. It's Valentine's Day tomorrow. Men, just a reminder. Some of you are panicked right now. Never Amazoned in church before, but doing it now. Do that real quick, then come back. We don't always know what's going to come up, but God does. And what He wants you to be is what He planted you to be. The word workmanship there, I'm going to geek out on you by doing a little Greek. It's a Greek word, and if you alliterate that word, it means the, the word is pronounced... Do you hear any words in the English language that are similar to, like, I don't know, poem? You are his creative masterpiece that expresses God don't make junk. And if he made you introverted, you're still his workmanship, created to do good works for the glory of his God. If you're the person who annoys everybody by your brazen personality, you are his workmanship. I need to refine it a little bit. He wants to use you. And maybe just maybe the reason that we're frustrated in our discipleship process, maybe just maybe we're frustrated in going to church is because we keep trying to make people other than who God made us to be. Now, hear me, all of us are called to share our faith because followers, they share what they... But some are gifted in that. Paul says some will be apostles and some will be evangelists and some will be... Etc., etc. So finding your giftedness and using your giftedness is for the glory of God. So the way that we need to approach this is shifting what it looks like for us to view the world. Are you, do you know who you are as Christ made you to be? Do you know how to, that's where you'll start hearing God speak to you when you're walking in the Spirit's path for your life you get it so how do we get there let's talk about the three shifts of culture there's tactical strategic paradigm shift you lead an organization you already know these but a lot of times we don't stop to think about it a tactical shift that's going okay that did not work he's still sassing mom let's change our tactic what is the punishment that works that keeps him from sassing mom parents understand that right tactical shift strategic is when you come up with a plan for the tactical. We don't want him to badmouth mom. Let's come up with a strategic implementation to allow this not to happen. I, d- I don't know if this one just came to me. I don't know. If it's a, it may be speaking just to where your life situation is right now. But, the church often, and what we do often, is we assume that our paradigm is correct. We assume that we're viewing the world well, and that so we have a strategic and a tactical plan, but what we don't ever do is get to the heart of the issue. So the way it may work is, you both are introverts, and God has blessed your life with a really big extrovert who can't sit still. And so you have to have a paradigm shift that understands, I can't make him sit still all the time, or it's gonna grow up like a volcano. Testify. And so you've got to paradigm shift the way that you view your child so that you can adjust your strategic plan, which will implement the tactics to help him or her grow up to follow Christ. We get that, right? The reason that a lot of times coaches lose games isn't because their tactics are bad, it's that they began with a bad viewpoint. We can beat anyone. No, you can't. You've only recruited one stars. Some of you won't get that. Some of you will get it. You can't paint an oil painting if all you have is watercolors. What's your paradigm? In the way you live your life. How you know is where you spend your time, your energy, your thoughts, and your efforts. Because that's your priority. So here's the paradigm shift we need to do. We need to make God and building his kingdom our priority. You want to know how to listen to the Holy Spirit? Find your calling, who God made you to be, and live that out. Yes, there are times that people come to me and go, Daniel, this is an exaggeration to prove a point. This isn't literal. God has called me to to lead the underwater basket weaving ministry. And I'll say, no, he didn't. No, he really has. I'm really, that's my calling. No, he didn't. So if the church sits there and goes, it doesn't actually fit, that's just wrong. And that's why we need the church sometimes to help us align with, your vision has to align with God's bigger vision, right? Underwater basket weaving doesn't help build a kingdom. That's just ridiculous. If you don't understand why, once again, another time, another place but what we are trying to do is shift it so what we are going to is the reason this is important is because this is where we'll find purpose in our life because just existing is not much of an existence you know why we struggle with purpose is we make these really long lists of what we're trying to, to achieve bucket lists right? I want to get that promotion what happens when you get that promotion you want the next one I want to get this amount of money in my bank account what happens when you get that I, I, want, I want a little bit more And so here's what I would argue. If your paradigm isn't focused on living for the glory of God, write out a long list of what will make you happy, and I can guarantee you when that list is fulfilled, you will still not be happy. But when you're living with a kingdom mindset of a purpose of calling in your existence of your life, you'll not only be satisfied, you'll be willing to die for the glory of God because you will have found your purpose. Wouldn't that be great? And the result, you get the fruits of the Spirit. Peace. I'm living my purpose. Here's what that looks like. How to know we've matured in the Holy Spirit. Love comes when we realize how deeply we are loved. Peace comes through living out our purpose. Patience comes when we have a kingdom mindset. Kindness comes when we realize the grace He has given us, and we afford other people grace, etc., etc., etc. So as we're doing that, we're trying to walk in freedom, living out our God-driven kingdom purpose. But in order to do that, it requires a singular focus. The singular focus is the following. You are to be transformed into a follower of Jesus, living out your calling, not my calling. Our singular focus is you are to have a transformed purpose that comes from a kingdom-minded reality focus that involves you living out your calling. (laughs) Say, Daniel, what's my calling? We're just in the process. We don't know what it's going to look like. Let's, let's let it grow. Let's let it come. Because the freedom you're, lo- you're long for is found in walking in God's purpose. So here's what I want us to do I want to start by saying this here's our daily training. It is intentionally general. It's make His purpose your passion. Ask yourself where you're putting your priorities. Where are you putting the kingdom of God? And, and then allow the process to work because if you really want to find hope, then you've got to get on board because we all have the same purpose. It's living out our calling for what God has made us to be to make a difference in the world. And the way that I'll translate is bankers learn to live for Jesus in the bank. The guy in the cubicle or in the, the farm farmer learns how to live for Jesus driving the John Deere or the Caterpillar, excuse me. Oh, that was bad. <laughs> you learn how to live as a mom, as a husband, as a dad, as a friend, a coworker. You learn how to live as a single person, and you aren't defined by what the culture says is your purpose. You aren't driven so that the church then has people who are passionate about justice. And yes, we should all care about justice. But those people who are passionate about justice will help the church look like a, 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 a group of people following Jesus that help seek justice. You'll have a group of people who are passionate about evangelism. You'll have a group of people who are passionate about growing and serving. You'll have a group of people who are passionate about teaching and nurturing. You'll have a group of people who are passionate about raising kids. You'll have a group of people who are passionate about senior adults and taking care of those in the last stages. You'll have a group of people who are passionate about serving as deacons, and they won't be the same people who feel passionate about serving on the finance team, and they won't be the same people who feel passionate about waving to people in the parking lot because they have a different skill set. And so when you go into the world to see your world as your purpose-driven life, oh, that's like Rick Warren. Let me quote him real quick. If I can find it. I can't, so I'm going to go on. When you live out your purpose, you'll find peace. Here's another quote my wife and I talked about. It's similar to Rick Warren's. God is less concerned about where you're going more than who you're becoming because when you become a follower of Jesus the spirit will guide you to where you need to go so here's the homework assignment Daniel how do I find my purpose well first you got to commit to make your passion him the second thing you got to do is you got to begin to ask how's God uniquely made me so here's the homework assignment this week okay Your homework assignment is the following. I want you to find five strengths. Five strengths and five passions that you love. And begin to ask, how could God use those? What are you passionate about? Disc golf? Say, no, I like it. Watercolors? I mean, write write it down. Movies? talking to strange people and making them awkward. Yeah, I'm looking at a few of you. You are my inspiration for this. (laughs) Reading. Writing. I'm passionate about organizations. I'm passionate about finances. Generosity. What would it look like if you, and 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 you? what would it look like if we all knew how our passion fit into the kingdom of God? How do we get there? Come back next week. Because we're going to be on an attempt. The process of unveloping this is to allow the Holy Spirit time to work out the God-given passions and desires in your life because He don't make junk. You're His poem. You're His masterpiece. And when you learn to live in that, We will change the world, but for Him. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to talk to you more about that. Would you come up? Let's talk to you about that. The rest of you, I would encourage you, find your strengths. Have a conversation around the table. Identify how those around the table are different. If you have kids, do that with them. If you have roommates because you're in college, do that. If you're by yourself, do it with yourself, and then call somebody. If you don't have anybody to talk to, call the church. One of us will talk you through it. Okay? Drew is an extrovert and would love to do that. Let's have those conversations, okay? So God, we thank you for the process. And we pray that we would find how you are creating in us a beautiful picture of what it takes to make the kingdom of God flourish. So God, we can't grow the crop, but we can work the soil of our hearts. So God, right now, Help us to rest in you. To see your glory, to see your goodness, to see your kindness, to see your presence. God, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing in our hearts and our minds. And Father, we pray we as a church would dramatically look more and more like a bunch of seeds growing up, reaching towards you as you guide us by the power of your spirit In your name we pray